I think you could compare it to martial arts in a way where a fighter loses a fight. And you say, hey, he lost. He sucks. You know, Zack Snyder, he made this film. It wasn't very good. He sucks. Well, he's good on the ground. He's got good jiu-jitsu. <laughs> he's a good striker. He can, he can finish. He's got, he's got power in his hands. He just can't wrestle. He just cannot control the in-between. He can't, he can't put all the skills together to utilize them correctly, and he, he gets out-wrestled in the middle of the movie. You wow. can't execute, and you end up, even though he lost, he doesn't suck. He has skills. The potential is there. He just needs to work on that middle part of his game. This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. So today in the studio, we have, per usual, my co-host Paul, but we also have a guest, Jonathan Cook from Screen Verdict. Is it Screen Verdicts or Screen Verdict? Yes. Hi, Sam. Paul, good to be here. Screen Verdict podcast is uh, what you were searching for. Did it start out mostly about movies, but now it's everything Hollywood? So my friend Matt and I uh, went to university together and we would just hang out, go get lunch and whatnot. Well, we actually known each other since we were about six, but we happened to be studying the same thing, uh, media, film, screen production. And uh, we would just hang out and talk about movies. There was a movie theater right next to our university. Go watch it, talk about it. And after a while, we thought, these conversations are so good, we need to put them on the internet. Um, so we started a podcast and uh, it's, we review a TV show or movie each week. And we pretty much stick just to that, except for the MTV Video Music Awards. That's our one kind of departure each year. Because we, we say that that still qualifies because it's on the screen. It's not just the music, it's the music videos. And that's always fun to talk about something a little bit different. You guys have been doing this like seven, eight years? Yeah, we started in 2011 and we were pretty good at uh, being consistent. People... A lot of people have YouTube shows or podcasts and it's like weekly. Yeah, it's not that weekly. But we were pretty good until I moved to uh, the US. So that's my bad. It makes the scheduling a little bit more difficult. Uh, so now we just record here and there when we can. Since you moved here, now you're also doing stand-up comedy or you've been doing that for the last few years? Stand-up, something I'd always wanted to do uh, in Australia. I used to love watching stand-up. Um, in high school, there was a show on the Comedy Channel in uh in australia it's kind of like comedy central but uh and uh it was called the world stands up and it was at 4 30 and i was like i've got to make the four o'clock bus so i can get home to watch the world stands up at 4 30. uh so something i always loved but didn't actually try until i uh, moved to america uh interestingly matt is involved in the story again getting a lot of shout outs on the south Pole podcast he came to visit me in la and uh we were at a bar and uh a, a bar show started up so we're like, oh, that's great. Watch some comedy, talk to the comedians afterwards. And uh, my friend said, oh, I was, I was always interested in, in doing that. And they said, well, if you want to give it a, tr a try, go to Flappers in Burbank. If it's your first time, you're guaranteed to get up. So we're like, oh, this will be great for the podcast. We'll go do it and uh, share that on the page. And uh, we tried it out. And uh, Flappers Comedy Club happened to give me a call back, said, do you want to do a show? And just kind of kicked off from there. And what is the LA comedy scene like? Because I heard it's pretty brutal. So it's, it's interesting. I've kind of got my toes in uh, two different sort of scenes at the moment, stand-up comedy 
and then sketch slash improv comedy. And they're, they're really different. It's quite interesting. Uh, one thing that's different about them in stand-up, everybody's against classes. There are stand-up classes out there, but comedians will say, you can't, you can't teach funny. You just got to go up there, write, bomb a thousand times, write some more, bomb a little bit less, and eventually you'll become good. Whereas in sketch and improv, everybody's in classes, UCB, Second City, the Groundlings. It's, it's more of a technique and art form that people feel they, they need to, uh, to learn and master. Um, so it's a very different approach and stand up. I feel a lot is a lot more kill or be killed. It's you, you alone, you versus the audience. The audience is like, all right, funny man, make us laugh. And it's the, it's a kind of a vicious approach. Whereas in uh, sketch and improv, it's a team environment. So everybody's like, happy, go lucky. We're doing this together. We're all going to make funnies. And I feel like the audience has a similar approach. Improv, people will just say the, the, the simplest things, but there's just this magic. There's magic in the air with improv because we all know it's being made up on the spot. And people will laugh. They'll laugh so easily. It kills me as a stand-up to watch how easy it is to get laughs sometimes in improv, even though under the surface, I know it's very difficult. Do you think one hurts the other? Like, do you think because you're learning comedy techniques in improv and stand-up is so different in their process that they kind of mess with each other? Or there's a fluid dynamic where you could be kind of funny in both? That's a good question. To me, I think funny is funny. I don't think one hurts the other. In fact, I think probably doing improv would help your stand-up performance. I don't do a lot of riffing. I don't do a lot of crowd work, but if I'd done more improv, perhaps I'd be more confident in doing that. And uh, doing stand-up helps your joke writing. So doing um, improv or sketch, you know, sometimes you're just going based on what you're given, but you might see something and there might be a little turn of phrase or a little way to, to pitch it that you've sort of that muscle that you've practiced doing stand-up that might come in handy as well. Do you notice a cultural difference between Australian humor and American humor? Or do you think funny is funny, like you said? I think there is a little bit of a difference. I think Australians are quite self-deprecating and they really rip on their friends. I will hang out with uh, some of my Australian friends and my, my wife, Bonnie, will, will say, why are you so mean to your friends? And I'm like, I'm the nice one. That's the lowest bar of meanness that, that will happen within an Australian friendship group. Uh, there's a phrase, the tall poppy syndrome, which ultimately I don't think is really a good thing, depending on how seriously you take it. But it's uh, the, the notion that, you know, we see one person kind of reaching above the pack, we feel the need to cut them down. <laughs> so if the first person in our group to get a fancy car or a nice suit, it's like, oh, nice suit there, mate. We'll just spend the whole paycheck on that one. It's, uh, we definitely make a lot more fun of each other. We don't take each other too seriously. It's like a natural social way to reach egalitarianism. Yeah, it's communism in action. Communism through jokes. Yeah. <laughs> so another important reason why we have you on here is because, you know, it was harder to find somebody who had seen every Marvel and DC movie of the new universe uh, than I thought because they make so much money. But when I reached out and looked, it made sense that somebody who does that for their podcast would have seen them all. But other than that, I, I, it was hard to find anybody. Yeah, I saw you ask that question. I think I watched all of them except for Justice League. And then you invited me on the podcast and I thought, I'm going to watch Justice League. No matter how bad this is, I'm going to push through for the sake of the South Pole podcast. So let's start there. So today's topic is Marvel Cinematic Universe versus 
the DC cinematic universe, but it's not really a versus because one is far superior than the other. So we're just going to kind of go into why one is better than the other, kind of make fun of the other. I tend to really think the DC are bad, but maybe you guys will think it's bad, but it's not that bad. So let's get into it. What did you think about Justice League? Because you're kind of a professional movie reviewer guy who talks about it. Well, let's start with what I liked about it. I thought I do like the sort of getting the band back together approach that that story, the your Blues Brothers is obviously their uh, equivalent of the Avengers. I did like sort of recruiting all of the the different characters, getting to see who was going to uh, uh, play a part in this inevitable fight to come. Uh, I thought uh, the Barry Allen character, the Flash, was definitely one of the, the stronger characters. I, I think I identified with him more than than Aquaman or some of the others. And he definitely had uh, the funniest lines uh, in the movie. And I thought some of the fight scenes were pretty interesting visually, um, seeing Aquaman fight underwater. I'm not sure I, I could think of something that really compared to that. And I thought they did a good job of s- sort of, obviously it's superhero physics, but how would superhero physics uh, appear when underwater in, in this new setting? So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, but ultimately I thought they had a real problem with tone. And I think that happens in a lot of DC movies. They quite to be quite dark, quite serious, quite dramatic, but I don't really buy into the story to the point where I'm as invested as they want me to be. And they also don't really balance that with the comedy. I thought there were quite a lot of funny lines, but for some reason they didn't land, whether it was due to the music that was playing at the time or the editing or just not giving time for the joke to land, to sit. I wasn't really laughing. It was kind of it was kind of a strange thing. I, maybe I'm doing too much comedy and I'm bec- becoming analytical because I was thinking during the movie, I was thinking that's a funny line, but I didn't laugh. I thought they were connected, laughing and funny, but apparently not. Yeah, intellectually, you could see that it's funny, but they fucked it up somehow <laughs> or it was somehow fucked up in the process. So for casual viewers of these movies, I think we should mention that Zack Snyder started this movie, but then Joss Whedon, who had worked on the previous Marvel movies, took it over, right? Correct. But he uh, isn't credited. He's only credited in the writing and the story, but he gave Zack Snyder full directing credit, which might be... Because I know Joss Whedon directed several of the scenes, like the opening and stuff. Maybe that had to do with the union stuff, or because he kept the Zack Snyder look throughout the film, he thought maybe just give Zack Snyder... Uh, the credit for it or my personal theory was this movie is bad so (laughs) just take my name off of this thing (laughs) it could be a little bit of everything but another thing i read was i think percentage wise of the movie joss whedon didn't do enough to warrant co-directing credits but it could just be a cover for i don't want my name associated with this so down the line many years later when people forget they don't associate justice league with joss whedon I'll generously give you the label on this movie that I don't want to be attached to. Correct. How kind of me. (laughs) My cup runneth over. (laughs) I caught the same thing, too, with the jokes. And I thought it was Joss Whedon trying to interject some of that humor he used in the Avengers movies. But this movie was already mostly made. It was too hard to try to change that tone in between movie. And in, in that way, then it just came off even more awkward because it felt like an awkward tone shift. I think they had the same problem with Suicide Squad. There was an original cut that was filmed and the powers that be said, 
this isn't funny. You need to put in some jokes. So all those jokes that were in the film, or most of the jokes, were added in later. So if you felt a similar sort of problem with tone in that film, that's probably why, because it was it wasn't designed to be that way. So let's go into that. Because Suicide Squad has to be one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the worst ever? My wife said it's similar to how she felt when she watched The Room. Not the Oscar award winning Room with, I don't know, what's her face in it? Brie Larson? Yeah, yeah. No, that's Room. <laughs> the Room is that really bad movie that they made that. Disaster movie with James Franco? Or like a mockumentary style of filmmaking was Disaster Artist, right? And that itself was kind of praised as being good. But The Room is really bad. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can find it on, on YouTube somewhere. Somebody's always got it somewhere online. But that movie actually is so bad that in some ways it's good. Whereas Suicide Squad was because it's not a B movie. It's not an indie movie. It was just a big budget movie that when it goes bad, it's just bad. It hurts for a Will Smith movie to be that bad because I love the Fresh Prince growing up. I love Men in Black. I feel like Will Smith is a pretty important part of my childhood. And even watching his motivational videos recently, he's been killing it recently. Even might be an important part of my adulthood as well. But even Will Smith couldn't save Suicide Squad. That was such a mess in terms of the, the tone. And I don't know, people seem to love Jared Leto. I don't get that guy. I'm not vibing. I am not picking up what he is putting down at all. I thought he was trying way too hard. Um, and I, I understand he's in a tough position because when you're playing the Joker after Heath Ledger just did the Joker, and that's one of the most iconic characters of all time. We'll probably be telling our kids about Heath Ledger's Joker, and then it's immortalized by him him passing on. To have to sort of step into that role I think you have two approaches. Just do a down-the-line, middle-of-the-road job. Obviously, won't be anywhere near as good as Heath, but no one will hate me for it. Or you just have to do something completely different. And I, I guess credit to him for going for something completely different, but I hated it. I actually thought Heath Ledger's Joker was just okay. I thought people <gasps> were just so into it because the overall movie was good and he had died and all this stuff, but... Jared Leto's Joker gave me a new appreciation for <laughs> Heath Ledger's Joker because Jared Leto's Joker, actually, it wasn't even original. He had ripped that off from um, the animated series. He's doing it. If you ever watched the animated series, the, the Joker that- um, The Mark Hamill one? Yeah, the Mark Hamill one. And I think he even said in an interview that he was inspired by the Mark Hamill Joker and he had he delivers a lot, a lot of the lines the same way Mark Hamill did. And then if you look at Harley Quinn- Whoever did the voice acting for Harley Quinn in the animated series, that's exactly how Margot Robbie did it. But with that said, it's a movie where you have Will Smith, you have Jared Leto, you have Margot Robbie, and you got actually a bunch of other good actors. So you took good actors and you made them act very badly. That's that's a skill. My wife has a theory that this guy was not only David Ayers, right? David Ayer. David Ayer. I thought it was Ayer. Is it Ayers? I don't know. I add S's to stuff. David, so David Ayer, Ayer sure. whatever. Yeah. He's the writer and also the director of this movie. So he was a full auteur. So my wife's theory is this is the movie he wanted to make. You know, in the past, <laughs> the studios had to rein him in. But now he was writer and director. This is it. This is the movie. And maybe the movie that he wanted to make wasn't so good. 
she might be onto something because right after this, he did Bright. And Bright was not good either. And that also had Will Smith. So it's one of those things where, holy shit, is this just who you are unchecked? Is this the kind of movie you make? <laughs> I looked at his list of credits and I've seen a bunch of his movies. And I would say, even if you check Rotten Tomatoes, the only one of his movies that's any good is End of Watch. He also did Fury. He did Fury? Yeah. But that was pretty good. That was pretty good? Yeah, I like Fury. Okay. So he's kind of like... Two out of five. <laughs> two out of eight. I don't know. The Suicide Watch was so bad. It also pains me because DC Animated has two separate Suicide Squad movies. One is Batman Assault on Arkham. And the other is Suicide Squad Hell to Pay. And both those Suicide Squad movies are very good. Especially the former, the Assault on Arkham. Because Batman's kind of like a background character. Suicide Squad has to break into Arkham and steal something. I don't want to give away the rest of the story. But I thought, oh, they should just do a live action version of this. You know, call it a day. But they didn't. So I thought, how, how did you fuck that up? Maybe that is the problem with Suicide Squad is that they actually try to make it like the animated movies. And they just try to make it true to the animated movies in a live action way. And you can't do a direct one-to-one transfer from animated movie realism and acting to live action. Who did that in the past was Joel Schumacher for Batman Forever, where that was the third Batman in the old series that Tim Burton had started. And that was the most that was the most cartoonish of them. And that was the one that critics were like, what the hell just happened to Batman? And I think Suicide Squad was going to do that. What? Is that the one with Schwarzenegger? No, that was the one with Kilmer. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You're talking about the George Clooney one. But I think the Arnold Schwarzenegger one also tried to maintain that cartoony tone. And Suicide Squad tried to do that dark animated tone and kind of feel of the animated series, which makes sense now with their voice acting. But man... Live action, it just doesn't cross over, which is why maybe a lot of those Japanese anime, when they turn into live action, why they're so bad, because they try to do it like the anime and you can't do that. (laughs) It makes sense why the Oscars has a screen adaptation for writing as its own category, because it's fucking hard to adapt (laughs) something from a book into a movie. And we don't have that for comic books or cartoons into a movie, but maybe you should because it's really hard. And maybe that's part of why DC versus Marvel, why the DC movies are so bad, because there's only so many good writers and directors that can really do that well from comic book to movie. And maybe Marvel has them all. You think so? (laughs) I disagree. Okay. I think it's just studio interference and people who don't have a good person at the top to corral all this talent. So you know how in Suicide Squad, they had Amanda Waller that kind of oversees all those people and says, you can't do this or I'm going to your head off dc might not have a good person that can either put all these people together and come up with the structured cohesive story character development and so on and so forth and marvel does a better job of it they have kevin Fahey, the guy at the top who oversees all of it so even if different directors turn in their scripts they're like now you got to remove this put this in you have to insert this scene with so-and-so So that way there's an overall structure and nothing happens outside of that Marvel universe. Whereas with DC, it's just, hey, we need three more fight scenes. But that, (laughs) yeah, just figure it out. We only have five. We need eight. 
Yeah, and then eight's later. the magic number. We tested it. The focus group said eight. <laughs> yeah, ten's too much. Six is too little. Eight fight scenes. <laughs> I think everybody has different theories, and perhaps depending on what you do, if you're an editor, you might notice it, the editing. As martial artists, you might have strong opinions on the fight scenes. Me as a, a writer, I think the writing definitely stands out. Um, something that I definitely noticed in Batman versus Superman, for example, was I didn't even buy into the premise in the first place. I didn't understand why Batman and Superman weren't on the same page. And I thought literally a 30 second conversation between the two could have had them like, oh, you're doing it for the, and you are, okay, let's fight together. And we, yet for no apparent reason, we spent two and whatever hours them fighting against each other. And at that point, the editing doesn't matter to me. The soundtrack doesn't matter to me. The, the fight scenes don't matter to me because I'm not invested in the story. The whole thing just fell apart on like page 10. Yeah, because I also think at this point, the Warner Brothers execs are kind of like, okay, we don't know what makes a good DC movie anyway. So they're probably at this point giving more reign to these people and they're still fucking it up, you know? I watched Ant-Man and Wasp recently and kind of out of the Marvel franchise, I would say, in my opinion, the Ant-Man movies weren't are not as good as some of the other ones. With that said, it's still very good. And watching that and then watching Suicide Squad and some of the other movies, it made Ant-Man look so good. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is a mediocre movie in the Marvel Universe, but why is it so much better? And it was little things like the jokes, the, the way it was edited, where in Suicide Squad or in Justice League, there was a little bit of a pause before like the reaction shots or the reaction lines to the comedic parts, whereas Ant-Man didn't have that. It was just you know good editing that you would expect. And it was a lot of little things that added up in the DC movies that they kept fucking up along with the big things like the story. Yeah, so Jonathan, let me ask you this. I want to ask as a fan to a writer, from your perspective, do you think it's because if you have to boil the story down to one or two sentences, if it doesn't work then, then your movie is doomed from the start. So one of those things could be with Batman vs. Superman. There was a Reddit thread where it says, explain movies badly. <laughs> Batman vs. Superman was billionaire hates on illegal alien and wants to kill him <laughs> that's essentially the movie but if you took thor ragnarok it's guy has to get home where his sister is trying to take over and his only companion is a schizophrenic and a drunk chick and atman is essentially a heist movie mm -hmm. so when you boil it down, okay, I'd watch that. But the very first one, you're like, what? No, that sounds terrible. I wouldn't watch this. It sounds like a Donald Trump video. <laughs> well, the way I tend to write is I come up with an idea, pretty much just a sentence. And then I flesh that out into a paragraph. And then I flesh that out into a page. And then I try and flesh that out into 100 pages. So I guess if you, you reverse that, if you have a film that works, you should be able to boil it down to just one sentence, one pitch. Uh, for why we're watching the movie. Having said that, though, sometimes films do have good pitches. It just gets messed, muddled up along the way. Um, but I feel like a lot of the time in DC movies, I'm thinking, what are we rooting for here? Or what is new? What has changed, um, you know, in the last 10 minutes to contribute to this, this, to the arc of the film? And I feel like it's, 
I feel like they move slower or a lot of things are just less believable. I thought it was so silly in Justice League when they, uh, are we doing spoilers? Yeah. We can spoil. Okay. So they resurrect Superman and in between the fight between Justice League and Superman at the end of it, they're like, oh, they took the third box. Like, no, these super powerful boxes are so important to the story. How are you just going to leave one on the road or whatever? And then the bad guys nick off with it. I'm like, that's ridiculous. At least integrated into the story. They're like, oh, no, we have to fight these guys and Superman at the same time. Oh, we got Superman, but they got off with the box. But it was it was literally just an afterthought. They were like, ah, people are sick of these boxes. Pe- people don't even really understand the boxes. Let's not do a third box scene. Let's just at the end of a Superman scene, just say, oh, yeah, whoops, third got stolen. Well, the whole boxes thing, I feel like is a ripoff of what the Marvel Universe was doing with the cosmic cubes that led into the infinity rings stones you know like in thor with the cosmic cube the tesseract and all that stuff it was always like a running storyline in the comic books i don't know what the canon is but it doesn't matter because marvel did it first on screen so you have to reach from your bag of dc storylines where it's something different from what marvel already did and they reach i almost want to say maybe they reached into the bag of storylines and they're like okay that worked for avengers let's find a storyline that's as similar to that you know what I took away from Avengers cubes? People love cubes. We got to get the cubes into Justice League somehow. You know what people hate? Triangles. Let's just stick with the cube. It's tried and tested, the cube. You know, it's funny. When you were talking about that fight scene in Justice League, when they were all trying to fight Superman, I thought, didn't Batman beat Superman last year in a movie by himself? Why is it that now he has backup and then he can't do it all of a sudden? Did he throw away the suit? Like, well, this is no longer necessary. So you knew this could be a possibility. Why didn't you just, hey, hold on, let me put on that suit again. This might come in handy. It's sort of the opposite of Superman in that the audience would think it's boring if we just keep on using this suit to solve all the problems. Whereas Superman, the only thing that can be used against him is kryptonite. You're like, oh, I wonder what they try to do, the bad guys try to do to get Superman this episode. Kryptonite. I guess they just didn't want to get into that recycling pattern. I feel like the DC movies especially rely on big opening weekends. Right now, all these big mega tentpole movies rely a lot on on the opening weekend. But the Marvel movies, still, they keep watching. People keep rewatching it or they tell their friends and it has a good run for a while. Whereas with the DC movies, you have to get all the money by surprise. Like before anybody knows they're going to walk into a (laughs) shit movie, they have to make all that money in the opening weekend before word spreads about how bad it is. And I think almost like, wait, did the movie studios start this whole like no spoilers culture thing? Because (laughs) because it's a a way to strengthen the opening weekend. So nobody knows what the fuck is going on in the movie. So they just go in surprised and they're like, fuck. I just wasted my money because you're not going to knowingly spend money on a movie that you know is bad. So you got to trick them into it. And that's the whole opening weekend thing. So I know DC spends tons of money promoting their movie. They cut really good trailers, actually. They they almost get me every time where a new movie is coming out and they cut a great trailer. I'm like, oh, maybe this time it'll be different. <laughs> and then it's not. And I'm going to go on a limb here. And go against the stream because a lot of people love Wonder Woman. They're like, well, that one was good. But I think Wonder Woman was also bad. I think it was better than the other DC movies. But overall, it's still a bad movie. I thought Wonder Woman was good, but not great. It's definitely the best of the new DC universe. 
And I would say better than the worst Marvel films. I would say it's better than I'm trying to think maybe an Iron Man 3 or the Thor first two. two Thors. Yes, Thor 2. So it's it's at least you've now you now have a Oh, I don't know what do you call it. Not a Venn diagram, but at least there's some overlap. Before that, they weren't even in in contact. The DC films with Marvel, but with with Wonder Woman, you've arguably bridged the gap. There's a connection between the two. So, like the top of the heap is overlapping with the bottom of like the good stuff. Uh huh. <laughs> do you think it's possible that when Warner Brothers switched the people at the top, I know before Alan Horn was the guy at Warner Brothers. He's the one who ushered in Dark Knight and the Harry Potter movies. And then he said later and went to Disney. And then they replaced him with Kevin Sujihara, who afterwards became all about, we got to make as much money as possible. So do you think that resulted in possible creative differences and stifling or those directors weren't that good from the beginning and they just chose poorly? Well, I think the initiative of trying to rush the whole thing is a problem. Like in watching Justice League, Having watched Suicide Squad first, Justice League was a much better movie, but I've definitely felt like they rushed into it. I felt like, oh, there should be like three or four movies before Justice League because they were, ju- they were just trying to put too many things together. And I think maybe that was the poor planning from the beginning from the executives. Even if you go hands off and you can do whatever you want, but the initial motivation to get to all these mega movies as quickly as possible just started the whole franchise off on the wrong foot. Look how long it took the new Marvel Cinematic Universe canon, meaning we're not counting the old movies like the Hulk movies or whatever, starting from Iron Man 1 to Infinity War now. Look how long that took. 10 years. And look at where... (laughs) Basically, DC has gotten to the same point in just a few movies. That's the problem with being behind, with being second. I think if they felt like they had the luxury of doing this. And I think they should have still done it anyway. I think Justice League could have been a much better movie if we'd have had a Flash movie, if we'd have had an Aquaman movie. And that way it might have made more sense. We would have had more of their uh, backstory, motivation, and connection to the other things that were going on without having to put all of that into the first, you know, 30, 45 minutes of Justice League. Now, to go pick on Marvel a little bit, people love the Black Panther movie and thought it was like the best Marvel movie, but I don't, I don't put it up there as number one. I would put it on more of the bottom end of my list. What what were your, your guys's opinion about Black Panther? I really enjoyed Black Panther. I definitely think it's one of the better Marvel movies. I wouldn't put it quite at the top. Um, I think it's interesting sort of the, the reach that it's had, obviously, um, you know, having a, a black lead um, superhero, um, obviously very important um, to uh, black people in America, but it seemed to resonate beyond that. I know a lot of people in Australia that loved Black Panther. Uh, my friend Matt, who is a teacher, he said the kids went nuts for Black Panther. He said they were playing uh, rugby and the kids before going out onto the rugby field would just yell, For Wakanda! <laughs> They have no idea of any sort of the cultural perspective or whatever. They just loved the film. So I thought it was it was good that it kind of um, did what it did culturally, but it was also just entertaining for uh, all kinds of people. You know, I said on Facebook, because I was one of the last people to watch that movie. I watched it when it came out streaming. And I said, it's good. 
you know? <laughs> I didn't think it was the best one. I don't know. I, I said it was kind of overhyped, but I didn't think it was that good. And people blocked me. <laughs> Some of my friends blocked me. So you can't, you can't fuck with that movie. That's what I've learned. So if Black Panther's towards the bottom of your list, what would you say is one of the better Marvel movies or top five Marvel movies? Uh, I don't know about top five. I, I wouldn't be able to do five. That would take too long for me to think about. I don't know. I like Thor Ragnarok a lot. I thought that was funny. You know, the first Iron Man, the first, what, two were pretty good. Guardians of the Galaxy was good. The theme is, I think what makes Marvel so good also is that they're light and they're funny. And they have a certain, like, comedic theme to them all. And maybe Black Panther also didn't hit it for me because it was the most serious of the movies. I felt like the first door or maybe the first couple doors weren't that good because they tried to do something different where... They first for the first movie they brought in Kenneth Branagh, who's like a very good dramatic director and also actor. So they tried to make the first Thor very serious, and it was bad in my opinion. It wasn't DC bad; it was just Marvel bad. <laughs> and Black Panther kind of had that same kind of tone where it was too serious. When ultimately it's just a superhero movie, because there's a lot of continuity issues and things that don't make sense with Black Panther which can be forgiven if it was a little bit more lighthearted. But when it tries to be more serious, then you got to take those kind of holes more seriously. I would say the two things that jump to mind about why I enjoy Marvel films more are, one, as you said, the comedy. I think they just are funnier for whatever reason. And two, I think they have better villains. For example, in Black Panther, I thought Warmonger, or Killmonger, sorry, was a great character. I wasn't necessarily rooting for him, but I understood his perspective and I found him interesting. Um, same with Thanos in uh, Infinity War. Super evil guy, but it's a very interesting approach. You think, okay, the earth is overpopulated or the universe is overpopulated. Uh, it's going to kill itself. Why don't we get rid of half of the people? And you go, oh, you can't just kill millions of people. But it was random. It's 50-50. Because if he'd have said, oh, I'm just going to get rid of the poor people and the races that I don't like and my buddies just get to stay, you'd be like, oh, this is what, a, what an evil guy. But you think 50-50, anybody could go. You go, oh, that's interesting. Those are some interesting stakes, and yet he's still committed to this plan. So uh, I love those guys as villains. But who did we have in, in Justice League? Some random demon-looking guy from the sky that's only motivation was to destroy everything? I mean, there's no layers there. There's no reason to you know explore that character it's just it's one-dimensional cartoonish and it came out of nowhere there's no setup for these characters especially like suicide squad where they're doing the whole lineup of here's the badasses and some people they just brought in out of nowhere no <laughs> foreshadowing in the first act brought him in just to kill them off right away yeah <laughs> it was just so bizarre and just bad and i think in general they're trying to do a long story arc without doing the doing the correct writing things to set it up correctly. You know what I mean? But going back to Infinity War, the ending. So if you're listening to this, the assumption is you've probably already seen all these movies anyway. So we're just going to spoil away. With the ending, the way people just kind of, whatever you want to call that, the way they just disappeared, right? Yeah, the snapping. Yeah. Which actually goes back to a thing that I argue with people that M. Night Shyamalan is not that bad of a movie director because he <laughs> made that movie The Happening where just shit happens, right? And now there's the snapping. It's, it's playing off of that thing he started, man. Does he get credit for all the subsequent memes? 
I hope so. <laughs> and that was the long con. What was once a bad movie now with global warming and with Trump in charge and everything, nobody knows why. And you just say it's just happening. Just like the snapping. You don't know why this guy died and this guy didn't. It, it, that's the long con. That was the ultimate twist ending. Anyway, back to it. When people disappeared with the snapping, everybody assumed that they just died, right? But they never explicitly say they died. They just disappeared. Because I was surprised that was people's read because I watched Avengers kind of after everybody else did. And when I saw it, I didn't read it like they died. I just, it looked to me like Star Trek where they get teleported and they kind of turn into these kind of particles and then they just disappear. And that's what it looked like to me. The CGI was done in a way where like, oh, I'm they're just teleported somewhere else is what it looked like to me. Because even the tone of it, they could have really pushed the sad ending. Even with Peter Parker, especially, they could have really done something, but it just kind of happened. And everybody's reaction was more confusion rather than they just all died. It was more like the audience interpreted that they all died. Hmm. I felt like it was pretty sad when Peter says, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. Yeah, it's one of those things. That's that. <laughs> but they didn't let you linger on that. It just moved on. No, and they lingered on him for sure. Because it's one of those things where if you break it down, because of his spider sense, he knew that he was fading. So that's why he said, I don't feel good. And his healing factor kicked in to try to keep him from disappearing. And it, he said, I'm sorry, because he was the one who's pulling on the gauntlet. So he says, oh, maybe if I did a little harder, you know how kids are. They try to impress their parents. So he says, I'm sorry, instead of, hey, this fucked up, I'm dying. And then he goes. <laughs> so they lingered on him more than anybody else. Yeah, but it was only like a few seconds. He got a few seconds more than Drax or Star-Lord or any but of even, those guys. But even Tony Stark's take on that, he didn't react like he died. He was just like holding like, what? You know? The word was the, no, there was not, none of that. It was just kind of like, what the fuck just happened here? You damn daddy Thanos. Because the way I read it was that it looked like, and I think they did that on purpose, the way they did the CGI. Because in the second movie, if they bring everybody back, they could be like, we never said they died. Look at the way we did it, right? It looks like they're teleporting to me. And so when they disappeared and then Thanos kind of also teleported to another world where it was kind of like he was just chilling. I feel like that was the soul world, like the the world of the soul that they described in the uh, soul early. stone. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's where everybody got teleported. Is what it looked like to me. I think I agree with your outcome, but not your reasoning. To me, it does look like they their bodies disintegrate or whatever. If all the particles disappeared, you know, it was just like snap and they were gone. You go, ah, they've gone somewhere else. Yeah. But it did kind of feel like they kind of turned to dust and flaked off and not all of it was teleported away. So I think visually it kind of looked like they died. And logically Thanos is saying he's killing these people. So you think they died. The reason why I don't think they really died is two reasons. One, Doctor Strange said there was a, a way that they win. He's like, ah, I looked at the 14 million. How many of them do we win? One. You go, well, we got one. That's probably going to be the one that we get, right? That's probably... If the Marvel executives had to choose, they'd probably choose that one over the other 14 million options because it makes them way more money. You're not going to kill Spider-Man. There's going to be... How much did Spider-Man do at the box office? 500 million? They all do at least 500 million. You're not going to throw away a character that makes 500 million at the box office? Especially the youngest characters. So just from a money standpoint, you know they're going to bring these characters back. But actually, no. When I saw it, I was looking maybe, you know, if I rewatch it, but... It didn't look like it turned into ash and just fell to the floor. It just looked like it all just kind of evaporated. But 
there was a different director for Ant-Man and Wasp. And in that one, in the ending credits, the way he did it, it looked like it was ash on the ground. But that's not how it looked to me in Infinity War. Maybe that's War. what I'm remembering. I didn't notice the difference between the two. Yeah, the rumor is that, like you said, they're trapped somewhere else. They didn't really die. But obviously, I'm not privy to the details that Marvel has on their characters. And maybe it's just a visual thing where... Imagine if you were privy and then spoiled it on this podcast. I'd be dead, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody will follow me home. <laughs> It's like People's Republic of China. <laughs> what? Or if you say something out of line, you just disappear. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like that's the proof is you compare the way two, the two were done in Ant-Man and Wasp and Infinity War. And I feel like Infinity War, the way it was done was canon. And they, because it's a secret ending scene, you don't have to be as clear you don't have to be as good or as thoughtful about it let's just put in something in there for the fans maybe but you know that those post-credit scenes are what we analyze the most because that's usually the easter egg for the next movie so you know the next day there's going to be ten thousand youtube uh, easter egg uh, footage analyzed <laughs> rumors for next movie <laughs> and it'll get a bazillion hits for sure how come the reactions to those things get even more hits than the easter egg like, I watched the Easter egg secret ending of whatever, and look at my reaction. That'll get, like, a million hits, where the secret ending video will get, like, 10,000 hits. I think it's just part of our culture to be looking to what's next. I feel like the day after the midterms, everybody's talking about 2020. Like, no one's taking any time to look at the midterms, like, analyze that, the importance of that. It's like, all right, what's next? What does that mean for 2020? It's like, we don't want to talk about the two-hour movie we watch, we want to watch the talk about the 20-second Easter egg at the end of the movie. Well, now it's even worse than that because there's the, the movie, there's the Easter egg, and then there's the guy reacting to the Easter egg. <laughs> it's like we're just going further and further away from the point. And those things are, uh, those things are seeming to be more important now. We're looking at you, man. <laughs> Paul? It looked like you were about to say something, right? Yeah, but it was I was ready to give my opinion on your reaction to Sam's opinion. We're going full meta. Meta, meta. I think it's just people who now delve into YouTube personalities and they want to know, well, what did so-and-so think about this movie? And sometimes they offer perspectives that you might not be privy to. They might have more knowledge on certain characters. So recently I finished watching Daredevil Season 3. And even though I like the character, I don't know enough about his history, his villains and storylines. So sometimes it's fun to listen to somebody who has that deeper understanding of Daredevil as a character. They might have read more issues and volumes so they know. Well, typically in the comics, Matt Murdock tends to do this afterwards or this is the story they might go with. It's like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So that might be a reason. There's also multiple Marvels and a lot of casual fans aren't aware. There's Disney Marvel, but there's also Sony Marvel, and there's also Fox Marvel. Fox Marvel is all the mutant X-Men stuff. They also have Deadpool. Yeah, which is actually still part of the X-Men universe because that's Correct. where you're But like you said, I think a lot of casuals don't know that. They yeah. just think Deadpool is a separate entity altogether because he's the rated R. He was the sole rated R Fox property until Logan became rated R. So my point is, is in this hierarchy, you have Disney Marvel and you would have to put now with the new Spider-Man, which is kind of a co-venture with Sony Marvel. Is it Sony? Yeah. Sony Marvel and Disney Marvel made it together. That's up there. That's pretty good. And then you got 
the Fox Marvel X-Men movies, which mostly good, not all good. And then you would have to put DC below all of that. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and you know what kills me is that I really like Zack Snyder as a director because visually, I think he's better than most. And one of the things that I always take apart is we've had the opportunity to study how different directors will approach one superpower, which is super speed. So Fox Marvel had Quicksilver. And so did Disney Marvel. And they both approached super speed differently. So for, I think, both the Fox and the Disney version of Quicksilver, everything just slowed down. And it almost looked like he was able to manipulate time more so than move really fast. And that's the visual style that they went with. Whereas Zack Snyder, he figured the Flash would move so quickly, he would just be a burst of energy and you just see this long streak of lightning. So if I couldn't hear the movie and I let's say I was deaf and I could only visually see it, I would never be confused with Flash and his superpowers. Like, oh, that guy moves really fast. Whereas if I saw both Quicksilvers, I might be like, so is he fast? Is he time traveling? Is he I what what what's his superpower? I don't quite get it. So Zack Snyder does that better than almost anybody, I think, as far as within superhero movies. But when you give him full control of character development and story and everything, that's when he kind of falls apart. I kind of agree with your defense of Zack Snyder. I actually think Watchmen is super underrated. <laughs> People didn't really like that. So I'm not a, a huge comic book guy. I've not read that many graphic novels. But my two favorite graphic novels are V for Vendetta and Watchmen, both Alan Moore. And the V for Vendetta film... Uh, made by Wachowski brothers, now sisters. Uh, I thought, I think that's great. I think Watchmen was unfairly hated. I thought it kept pretty close to the, the book. The only change they made was the ending where, um, just said it was my favorite novels and I'm forgetting all the characters' names, whatever, big blue alien guy becomes the thing to fear rather than just some made-up alien thing. I thought that made way more sense. Exact same sort of theme and point that it makes just you know using something that's already within the story instead of adding something external right at the very end so i thought visually it looked great and did the best of conveying um the thematics of an incredibly uh special book within a, a two-hour film so if that's his best film based on adapted material well at least a more direct adaptation because you know justice league and things where they're all adapted from the you know, parts of stories or characters that exist, but it's essentially a new story was Watchmen was just retelling the graphic novel story. Then you're probably right in your assessment that he is very good uh, visually. Cause I, I agreed with that uh, analysis, but when you, he has to be responsible for the character development, et cetera, as well, maybe that's uh, where his weaknesses lie. With Watchmen, I think that's just a nitpick about the ending, but I don't think people didn't like the movie. I think a lot of people hadn't, the majority of dislike about Watchmen were from people who hadn't even read the comic book. The comic book people had their own reasons for disliking it. But in general, it's a kind of a running theme with a lot of Zack Snyder movies where they're kind of long yeah. and they have this really boring middle. <laughs> and Watchmen, you could have cut in an hour and then it would have been a tight movie. And I think the same thing with Batman versus Superman. It was still going to be bad. But if you cut out like a middle hour of that movie, it would have been a lot better. Because he does this weird, boring part, like Watchmen. 
it was like a hour long middle music video montage of just 80s style i don't know montages of shit happening and sex scenes and no movement of the plot at all and you had a lot of that in his other movie sucker punch and batman versus superman in the middle where i just felt like falling asleep because it was so slow and boring so i think a visually interesting guy he does a lot of good stuff for setup and then he ends it with a bang but the middle stuff where you have to be a good storyteller mm. that's where he struggles how much would warner brothers and dc pay to get christopher nolan back 1.5 billion <laughs> <laughs> no they would have to offer him some kind of back end deal where he gets a huge percentage of it but then I maybe a percentage of a dc movie <laughs> <laughs> so it's like they have to pay him up front by <laughs> yeah. <like> 1.5 billion <laughs> No, because he had some kind of executive deal, right? Where he was overseeing the movies and then he even left that because he was the producer for the Zack Snyder DC movies for a while. Yeah, he was producer for Man of Steel. And then he left. So I think he was just like, I see where this, where this is going. Take my name <laughs> off of this shit. <laughs> oh, my bad. This guy over here. I thought he was a professional Amateur podcaster. Hour. Alarm going off on the podcast. What kind of phone is that? 5S. Why is it so small? Because that's how big they used to make iPhones. Wait. Oh, this is an old phone. Yeah, iPhone 5S. Oh, where are we at now? I don't, I don't oh, have right, iPhones. X. I have Droid. 10. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was like a newer model. Look at this thing. Look how small they're making it now. I like them small. The other ones, uh, I've only got so much room in my pocket. Didn't you guys feel like Flash in... Justice League was basically Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Yes. They were like, oh, Joss was like, man, what, what else can I take from, uh, from Marvel? Because I used to work there. Oh, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll add in the Spider-Man stuff. You know, it's funny. I think Joss, he didn't even really want to do Justice League. It was more of a favor. He really wanted to do a Batgirl movie. Yeah. And then, well, that was out. What, after they found out. Oh man, this is what it looks like when you direct another solo movie. Never mind. Well, he he was supposed to be the Kevin Feige of DC, so Zack Snyder was the kind of the Kevin Feige. So for those of you who don't know, Kevin Feige is like this comic book geek who loves Marvel, and that's part of why it's so good because you have an executive who knows the material inside and out and loves it. So he's not going to stand for anything that isn't up to his standards. DC doesn't have that, so they put kind of Chris Nolan in charge for a while, then Zack Snyder took control over it, and Joss Whedon was in control of it, and now he's gone. I don't know who's in charge of the whole franchise now. I think it's Jeff Loeb who's in charge of it, but even then, even if you gave him control, how much control are you exactly going to give him at the decision-making level? Because if you're still going to undercut him, then what's the point? Jonathan, what's your favorite of the superhero movies? Out of Marvel, the ones that come to mind are Thor Ragnarok, uh, Captain America Civil War, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers the first one, and Infinity War, and maybe one other. First Iron Man were pretty good. I don't know, they do quite a lot. I don't think I have a clear-cut favorite, but those are probably my top five. That's what I, I was missing. Captain America Civil War, I think, in my opinion, was the best Marvel movie. It was a Captain America movie, but it felt like an Avengers movie. It felt like this is the movie. This is the movie, the mega movie, the one where they all combined to make a movie. 
And it was dealing with the most subtle of politics and personal relationship issues and side versus side. It was the most adult of the movies. It was what Batman versus Superman should have been because I didn't buy into that premise at all. But with Civil War, I understood Captain America's perspective and I understood Iron Man's perspective. It was actually quite interesting for them to argue and fight. And uh, yeah, the, the, the writing, that's what it came down to for me. I totally bought into it. And then they just had fun bringing in all the other characters. The fight scene at the airport was probably the best uh, fight scene of any of the Marvel movies, in my opinion. I thought that was super fun. I actually really like Spider-Man Homecoming. I think that's my favorite Marvel movie because if you take away the superpower, it's essentially uh, one of those coming-of-age stories where a guy is trying to balance out his academics and his separate secret life. And he's still trying to impress the girl, but he has homework and he has a parental figure that he tries to please, but he doesn't always do a good job. So that's what I liked about Spider-Man Homecoming. So for me, at least, it was my favorite with Thor Ragnarok coming in a close second. And that's with Taiki... Uh... Yeah, Taika Watiti. Okay. He was a Screen Verdict nominated actor. That oh. man for his performance says, Krog, is it? The rock guy? Oh, yeah. One of the funniest characters ever. One of my favorite comedy series is Flight of the Concords. And he was involved <laughs> with that show. And then he, he did a bunch of uh, New Zealand movies. In particular... He did that vampire one. Yeah, What We Do in the Shadows. Which is now going to be a TV show. The dude has a very particular style of comedy, which is kind of fresh and refreshing. Especially here in the US, where maybe that's a kind of a brand of comedy in New Zealand. But we're not so used to it here. So it's fresh. So I like that they're giving him the helm of some of that comedy in the Marvel Universe. I hope they actually give him one of the big Avengers movies. I thought the rumor was he was in the running to direct the next Guardians movie. So that would make sense given that they can James Gunn. Yeah. And I know a lot of people disagree with this firing, but because Thor might not have any interesting stories going forward, why not fold him into the Guardians and he becomes either a co-leader or he at least brings in other interesting stories because now he can combine the Thor universe with the Guardians universe. I think that would work well because the uh, Chris Hemsworth, um, Chris Pratt dynamic in Infinity War was great. So if they they were to continue that in in the Guardians universe, and I think um, you know Waititi's sense of humor would totally blend in with Guardians. I'm 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 completely on board. Yeah, because where do you take it, right? Thor Ragnarok, Asgard was destroyed, and then Guardians of the Galaxy two. The first one was so good and so funny. And the second one was just like, let's just make this because there's some plot elements in here that's going to connect to the bigger Infinity War movie. But otherwise, it didn't feel like it needed to be made. It wasn't, it was still Marvel standard, but it wasn't very good. It almost was like, what's the point of this movie? It was worth it for Baby Groot alone. I think that was honestly why they made it. That's true. I think it was a setup for Guardians 3 where the original members of the Guardians would disband and then it would give James Gunn a chance to bring in new actors for Guardians 4 and 5. But I think this is how you could combine Thor with that is because Thor doesn't have a place to go. Guardians, the second one, I think most would agree wasn't as good as the first one and the story didn't. The story needed a good kick in the ass and maybe the combination of the two worlds together would be a good fit. So let me ask you this, for both of you, what's your favorite DC movie? 
current canon, right? Not old canon. Doc you can't Knight, say. Doc Knight. I claimed it. Already <laughs> said Doc Knight. I knew it. Before knew we clarified it. the rules. Because <laughs> whenever people defend the DC movies, they bring up the old stuff. And that's not part of the DC cinematic universe. That's just like one-off movies or uh, not one-off movies. I guess that's a one-off trilogy. That was Chris Nolan's envisioning of it. And I guess they're doing that again with the Joker movie, right? Where they're making a new Joker movie with the... Todd Phillips. And Joaquin Phoenix. Correct. And Robert De Niro is involved in it somehow. Yeah, and that's not going to be part of the current DC Universe canon. That's going to be also kind of what Chris Nolan did, its own separate side project. And some of the photos I saw of Joaquin Phoenix, his Joker isn't like the Joker in any of the previous movies. They look like they were just portraying him more like just a regular dude who's crazy. Just Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. So he just dressed kind of more normal as the Joker. So yeah. I think they're trying to ground that one more in reality. Yeah, I heard it's going to be more or less a crime drama, which makes sense given Robert De Niro's involvement. What else did Todd Phillips make? The Hangover? Oh, it's that guy. Old school? It's that guy. Old school is good. Yeah. yeah. Do either one of you guys watch the DC TV shows? No. I've seen a couple here and there, yeah. So that's also what pains me because... Their animated universe and their television universe shows that, oh, you can do an extended universe. You're just fucking it up on the film universe on purpose at this point. But in Marvel, the TV shows are consistent to the cinematic movie universe. It's still the same universe. But that's not necessarily true for DC TV shows, right? It's kind of its own thing. It's kind of its own thing. So that's one of those things where I would argue that, listen whoever's doing DC animated universe is doing a great job because all the stories connect. It has a consistent voice cast. And even when they do a one-off, you know, for sure, Oh, this is just a one-off other world story. And even with their TV shows, they started with arrow. Then they added flash legends of tomorrow, Supergirl, And then they found a way to make him all do crossover episodes where they all come together to fight a greater evil. So it's like, okay, so you guys can do this when put up to the task. But when it comes to their film universe, it just becomes, we just got to make the most money. We got to do it in two years. Like You're not building any story organically. So I agree with what you said about how Civil War seemed like it's something that they build up correctly over time. And Justice League was just, let's just cram it and then figure it out from there. The Flash has a TV show though, right? Correct. But it's a different actor for The Flash? Yes. The TV show version of Flash is played by Grant Gustin. So what's up with that? (laughs) I think they started the TV show version of Flash before they decided to spin off and make it into a movie. And then they decided we might be able to make more money if we're just going to do two separate versions. And that way, if we get sick of one, we don't have to worry about, oh, no, what's going to happen to the movie Flash? (laughs) And the TV show, is it still Barry Allen? Because there's been different Flashes in the comic books. It started with Barry Allen, correct. So it's not the Wally West version. Wait, the TV show is Barry Allen? Correct. So they're both Barry Allen? Correct. (laughs) Oh, this makes it even worse. This is how they're fucking this up. (laughs) So I know you're a writer guy and you do screenplays and sketches and whatever, but I'm going to go on my rant about Hollywood and why it sucks. Because part (laughs) of the reason why I think the DC movie sucks so bad is an overarching problem with Hollywood, which is that why they can make an Oscar-winning screen adaptation of a book is because people read books, you know, so you could find a screenwriter and they've probably read books. And so, okay, I'm familiar with books. I know how to screenwrite. I could adapt this thing where I would say most people in Hollywood who are in the creative side, 
don't read comic books didn't grow up reading comic books. And if they are reading comic books, it's something they picked up recently. Now, that isn't an absolute rule. There are some people who love it and grew up reading comic books. Also, they all work for Marvel. So I feel like it's like this very 0.01% of Hollywood knows that stuff and Marvel has most of them. And then the rest don't really like comic books. And they're just trying to because here's my problem with Hollywood is they're all about status and legitimacy. Meaning you get out of film school and you want to be working on something that you can brag about. That seems more legitimate. That seems more high status. So you don't want to do some indie independent stuff on YouTube. You don't want to, oh, I know how to do production stuff. I don't want to go to podcasts or whatever. You want to just work on TV or movies and you don't want to waste your time on lowbrow stuff like reading comic books or anything like that. And so I think part of that high status, high legitimacy culture of Hollywood is why they're so bad at kind of converting these things, which they always considered as lowbrow into movies, which actually I think goes into politics a little bit is because everybody's freaking out saying it's the liberal media, but really what is it? What the fuck is the liberal media? You're just talking about TV. That's where they're all at. But every other media, YouTube, podcast, Twitter, the right has taken it over. And I think <laughs> that's because somebody who has the right background to create stuff, they only want to work in what they consider to be legitimate fields or not just legitimate, which are also fields that they could brag to their friends about. Oh, I'm working on this on TV or I'm working on this movie. Maybe, but I also think it could be one, maybe Warner Brothers or DC is just being cheap because... It's not that there's a lack of talent or lack of people who are very into comic book characters. You think there's a overflow of screenwriters who grew up reading comic books I don't that know they're if, just not utilizing? I don't know if there's an overflow, like there's too much of it, but I think there's more than enough. Marvel can't hire all of them anyways. And there's people who either leave due to creative differences or people who say, you know what, I've always been more of a DC fan growing up. But maybe people at the top at Warner Brothers or DC think... um, we could get so-and-so, but I don't know if they're worth the price tag because let's take the recent Marvel's Wolverine podcast. I thought that was excellent because it's one of those things where you took a concept that seems very novel, but at the same time old, which is essentially a radio show. But because of a great story, a great voice cast and great direction, you're able to have it be, wow, I want another one. And they recently been greenlit for season two so i think when you have talented people whether they have a comic background or not you can make it work i mean changing genres just a little bit if you look at horror movies the best horror movies aren't necessarily directed by people who have only made slashers or horror movies they're made by great directors would you say that if chris nolan made a horror movie it wouldn't be good it'll probably be amazing so if you have movies like the exorcist rosemary's baby or the original Halloween, you have people who can tell a good story, can compose a good score, who know how to build tension, who can develop characters who are either someone sympathetic or the terror is just something you can relate to or something that's untold, like, I don't know what's going to happen. It could be a good movie and DC just doesn't do a good job of it. They don't hire the right talent. It's not just you need to have a comic book background per se. But you just need to be good, period. And then we can work around the source material. I have a rebuttal for that. But Jonathan, what do you think about my criticisms about Hollywood? Legitimacy, status, that they don't want to bother with lowbrow stuff that only the losers read or pay attention to. 
But then what happens is these genres get really popular. There's a populist movement for it and they have to work on it, but they don't know anything about it anymore. I think it makes some sense. I think it's based a little bit on an elitist film school sort of approach to I'm a filmmaker and I take myself very seriously, which I think some people are, but I guess they go where the money is. And I think, are you saying that it's a surprise that the money is in comic book movies and we weren't prepared for that? We have all these highly educated, pretentious, elite filmmakers and we have them we have a system produced for them to make these kind of movies but all of a sudden the the money is elsewhere and they're not suited to that and for whatever reason we're sticking with our guys because we're the best we're the top one percent we know i don't know why i'm doing this accent but i kind of like it (laughs) you're (laughs) saying it better than i am yeah 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 go on we're gonna stick with those people and we're not gonna give the young kids a chance or even not even necessarily that young but the the uh, generation or group of people that grew up actually reading these things I'm not sure if that's the case that the people that grew up reading comic books and are passionate about comic books aren't interested in becoming screenwriters or aren't screenwriters, because I think a lot of people that consume arguably pretentious media, you know, people that sort of, oh, I, I saw the, the play August Osage County. It was fantastic. <laughs> I think I could turn that into a film. I don't think the people consuming those, you know, uh, literary books or plays or whatever think that they can do it. But I would imagine if you asked a lot of comic book fans, do you think you could write a story? I feel like a lot of them are creative people. They might be interested in, you know, being involved in the films or writing the film. So uh, I think the people are out there. It's just a question of whether they're getting the jobs or whether it's just hard to make a movie. Because I think something else you kind of implied was we're doing a great job of adapting these biopics, these plays, these books. Well, a lot of those are garbage too. There's there's DC equivalents of like of novel adaptations out there that that really just miss the mark. I don't think comic book movies are unsuccessful critically. I think there's a reason why people are seeing them because people like them. Even the ones that uh, that don't do that well, obviously you're pumping marketing into it, but it's still somewhat watchable. I mean. I didn't love Justice League, but I I made it through. I got to the (laughs) end. So it can't be that bad. So yeah, it is an interesting question, I guess. It's just like, what resources do we have and where are we putting them? Are we we using them correctly? Well, I think there's ceilings and there's just not one. There's several. So what I think is, let's say you grew up reading comic books. We're using that as the the example we're using here. So I'm going to stay consistent to that. You read comic books, you want to make comic books, you start writing comic books or you're an artist or whatever, and then you want to get into more of the TV stuff. Then you maybe you get into animation. So from jumping off from comic books to animation, there's a little bit of a ceiling. Maybe that can be overcome. Now from comic books to animation, now you have the background. Now you know a little bit about screenwriting and whatever. Can you make that jump from animation to live action movies? That's a bigger jump. And I think that's what happens. They just get crowded from, at best, they just go into animation, which is why, this is to your point, Paul, why the animated stuff is so good, because those are where all the fanboys are. Having known people who work in animation and writing and stuff, when they try to go to live action, it's really, really hard. There's maybe a couple guys who have been able to make the jump from animation to live action, but 
those are more of the exceptions. And I think that goes to that elitist mindset that you're talking about, where they're like, yeah, I, I guess you make good stuff, but it's all animated <laughs> shit, right? So <laughs> I'd rather take this guy who yeah, made- that's cute. You made the kids laugh. Good on you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there is a bit of that in the Hollywood executive mindset because, and maybe that'll change because like you said, it's about where the money goes. So there's a bunch of kids who are growing up with comic book movies and that's their culture. And one day, some of those people will be executives. So they'll have a different mindset, but the current crop of people don't. I think they definitely stick with people they know. And, you know, you can say that that's like nepotism or lacks imagination, but there is a lot on the line. You know, there's hundreds of millions of dollars at stake and these things are hard to make. I mean, a lot of people talk about, oh, I could have written an something better than that. It's like, well, have you ever written a screenplay? It's like, no, it's it's hard to write a hundred page screenplay. Then even if you have written something or you made some short movies, have you ever directed a feature film with a hundred million dollar budget? You've been responsible for hundreds of employees. Like it could go horribly wrong. So even though I wish Hollywood would take more chances on more younger creative people or new projects that aren't, you know, reboots or whatever, I kind of understand why they do that from a business perspective. And that's that's a problem when you mis mix business and creativity. If if we were talking about a Fortune 500 company, you know, I doubt anybody would really care or be that critical of you know sticking with someone with results. He's like, yeah, that's how you get hired in the business world based on your experience and and results. But when you have something that's creative and you have artists at work trying to tell a story and it's subjective and you don't really know what's going to connect with people going with the guy with the longest resume is not necessarily the guy that's going to connect with the most people, but it's the safest bet. And that's what they're sticking with. Going back to what both of you had brought up with Zack Snyder, I think also a frustration, especially because he's the one who kind of kickstarted the new DC cinematic universe is that Zack Snyder in some ways is really good. Like when I saw Man of Steel, there were so many good moments where you're like, some of the stuff with Kevin Costner, some of the stuff with Russell Crowe, they're really good. And some of the action scenes and the way it looked, it almost felt like two or three different movies and he just didn't blend them well. And even with Batman versus Superman, it had these moments. So Zack Snyder creates these moments that are really good and you as a viewer just get frustrated because man... There was something there. You could have made a good movie. What <laughs> happened? And if it was just like Suicide Squad, I have no disappointment because it was just bad all around. But with those Zack Snyder made movies, they have these moments and he just can't put it together. And I think that's what's extra frustrating because if you're of a certain age, you like some of his previous stuff like, you know, 300 or the Dawn of the Dead remake. Actually, out of his movies, I like the Dawn of the Dead remake the most. 300 was also good. I like that. But now, over time, it's kind of taken a weird cultural twist where it's just like 300, Fight Club, like certain movies are just certain people like it. And now you're just like off put by it. You're like, man, if I say I like it, I'm going to be in a club with that guy. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> be in that club. But my point is, is that, okay, he did some good stuff. And he, there's been times where he put it together like consistency wise. But with the comic book movies, or maybe it started with Watchmen. Watchmen were, was a movie where I was really excited to watch. 
And then that middle part was like, what is going on here? Here's an exciting director and you're just boring me in this part. And then at the end, it got exciting again. I think you could compare it to martial arts in a way where a fighter loses a fight. And you say, he lost, he sucks. You know, Zack Snyder, he made this film. It wasn't very good. He sucks. Well, he's good on the ground. He's got good jujitsu. <laughs> he's a good striker. He, he, he can finish. He's got, he's got power in his hands. He just can't wrestle. He just cannot control the in-between. He can't, he can't put all the skills together to utilize them correctly. And he, he gets out-wrestled in the middle of the movie. You wow. can't execute. And you end up, even though he lost, he doesn't suck. He has skills. The potential is there. He just needs to work on that middle part of his game. So you're essentially saying Zack Snyder is the Anthony Pettis of movies. <laughs> Zack Snyder is the Anthony Pettis of movies. Flashes of brilliance. And then he could do certain things well, but that middle part, that wrestling, it's like the grind. Damn. Yeah, it's like, ah, oh, if only you had that. Who it knows hits, where you'd be? It hits the 70 minute mark and it just goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he just has like a bad filmmaking gas tank. He's like, guys, <laughs> I'm tired, man. I just can't. I just can't. And then he just like starts puttering out in the middle of it. And then he gets his second win at the end and say, like, okay, okay. All right, all right. I'm going to finish the third round strong. <laughs> it's like that storyboard in the middle goes missing. Like, who messed with it? Ah, fuck it. It's okay. We'll just Th- keep that going. That was the round I took off because I <laughs> needed to get my gas tank back. <laughs> but that analogy you made, that might have been one of the best analogies or the best analogy of Zack Snyder I've ever heard. I'm so glad you're here now. At first, I was like, why do we bring this guy on? You know, this... This guy's supposed to be a, a professional stand-up comedian and, <laughs> and all this stuff. Where, where's the, the magic? Where is that one line where my mind is just broken? And that was it. That, that Zack Snyder not having that wrestling game. We'll edit it down. We'll, we'll front load this conversation. <laughs> we'll put it at the beginning. Start off with a bang. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of you. We'll do the editing thing. That might be another <laughs> great, interesting topic for next time. If you have to compare filmmakers and their style to fighters who would it be? <laughs> i didn't even know that was possible until jonathan brought it up <laughs> it makes sense the wrestling game would be the pacing like <laughs> if you have a weak story even if you have oh so so characters if you have good pacing and good directions like eh, it, it could still be a watchable film <laughs> but if you don't have that then this movie is terrible i don't care how good it is you end up with the suicide squad <laughs> no but that is true because anybody even if you haven't done screenwriting right if you've done any form of creative writing or even if you don't do it anymore but you did it for school it's like everybody comes up with a good premise. They start off strong, but it's that middle part of your story, your little short story or whatever, the book you've been trying to write. That's the grind. Nobody gets writer's block really at the beginning because you have a premise. And at the end, you already know how you want it to end. But it's that middle grind where you just have to put page after page. You know, you're like, okay, I got the first five pages of the beginning. I know how the last five pages is going to go. And then it's the middle 90 pages where you're just like, oh my God, fuck, I got to... He did this, and then he did this, and then he did this. How do I carry this on? And that's that grind in wrestling where you're like, I got to re-pummel, man. I'm tired, (laughs) but I got to re-pummel. I got to push. I got to push. I got to switch. You know, that makes even more apt comparison because there's some filmmakers who start off a great movie and it ends terribly. So fighters who start off strong and then they just sputter out like a Chris Weidman. They start off great. Like, wow, this is an interesting movie. Oh, it's so different and refreshing. He always a good first act. And then the end, I'm like, wait, what the fuck? How did this end? What? This is terrible. You just, did you run out of money? It's took an unexpected and disappointing turn. (laughs) I wonder what kind of fighting style M. Night Shyamalan would have. (laughs) What what would be the equivalent of that style? 
the ending is just a what the fuck. I feel like he's like an Anderson Silva. This is very complimentary. <laughs> yeah, man. He's good. But it's like kind of like his later movies are like when Anderson Silva started getting knocked out by Chris Weidman, <laughs> where he's doing this weird shit. And then he has a twist ending. You're like, oh, that's how it's going to end. Like that. <laughs> like you being an idiot and then getting knocked out. <laughs> Let's see. Now I'm curious. Who would be... Let's see the Daniel Cormier of filmmaking, someone who can do different genres very well, being the equivalent of switching between two weight classes. Yeah. Or like the consistency of like a George St. Pierre, like, oh, you know, for sure, when you get this filmmaker, they're going to, it might not be the most exciting, but it's going to be a good movie. Like a GSP, like, well, he's not going to finish anyone, Bisping notwithstanding, but oh, it's going to be a good movie. I'll watch it. Yeah. He puts out good work. I would say it's the, the two Andersons that I like in filmmaking, which is Paul Thomas Anderson and Wes Anderson. They always consistently make, it's not for everybody, but it's always consistently their style and and good in their way. Yeah. You could, if you've watched a few Wes Anderson films that say there's one you haven't seen happens to be on, on the TV, you turn it on, not knowing what it is within five minutes, you'd be like, I think this is a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. Not only that, if you're a Wes Anderson fan, You'll like all of his movies. Mm-hmm. Maybe a filmmaker who's really good, great, brilliant, but always underappreciated could be like a Mighty Mouse. <laughs> like, oh, this is a great movie. Oh, too bad not enough people watched it. <laughs> <laughs> There's some movies like that. But what if like DC took a shot and just gave Wes Anderson one of the... <laughs> what would that look like if Wes Anderson did one of the new DC movies or like Batgirl? Because, you know, lately he's been messing around with the animation stuff. What would a Batgirl made by Wes Anderson look like? It's like, hey, Batgirl, the (laughs) villain just took off with the bank money. Huh. I think my mom's taking Xanax. (laughs) 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 Just like crime adventure mixed in with like very dry personal problems. Everything would be in pastel. Yeah. I want to see a pastel superhero outfit. That would be great. And also the writing of it is like a fight scene. And actually, I don't know how they write fight scenes in movies because sometimes like I heard some writers write it really detailed and some people just say they fight right here. (laughs) (laughs) But I wonder if a Wes Anderson script for a DC movie would be like, and then quirkiness ensues. (laughs) And that would be like five minutes of filmmaking. It's like consistently throughout the movie. It's just quirkiness where the superheroes are clad in their outfits and they have very humdrum, weird conversations that are <laughs> that are kind of just odd and awkward while one of them just stares out the window. <laughs> what if he just removed all the action, like similar to how you see it from one, ca- one person's perspective? So they're, you just see the reaction of getting beat by Batgirl. So that way it's not even an action scene really, but there's, action implied that is happening and the guy's face like oh 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 and then he's next and then he faints or something and then they're like that was the action scene but you got through a whole thing and you didn't really show anyone getting beat up so it saves you money on choreography it's like just act surprised it's just someone taking notes in their journal it's like dear diary today i got beat up yeah, by that girl there we go <laughs> yeah because he does a lot of lower budget stuff and he's like okay Wes Anderson, we'll we'll let you do a DC movie, but we'll only give you two million dollars. <laughs> like, okay, fight scene, dear diary. 
Well, 1.5 is going to Ed Norton, so that leaves us. <laughs> <laughs> Who would Ed Norton be in a Batgirl movie? The, the narrator. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I would watch it if it was Ed Norton as Batgirl. <laughs> That's true, though. If Wes Anderson did a DC movie, there would definitely be a narrator. <laughs> For sure. But actually, you brought up another good point is one of the classic things about like if they made a children's book into a movie or in the past, I think they've done it with comic books also, they did the narrator thing. But none of the Marvel movies have a narrator. Fox Marvel does because the Deadpool movies, Deadpool narrates throughout the movie. Yes. But why don't they do more narration? Is it just too cheesy now? Why don't we see actually more narration in movies? As a writer, do you do narration? Do you write in narration or is that like a, a no, no, is that a faux pas? Like this is too, this is too cliche. This is too formulaic. I'm forgetting his name, but he's kind of the guru of screenwriting, uh, has a lot of books. He does a lot of seminars. And one of his sort of golden rules is that if you need narration, you're a bad writer. <laughs> if you can't, so that is a rule. If you can't convey what needs to be conveyed without telling the audience, just quit, go home right now. Uh, but I don't really subscribe to a lot of, I mean, he has never written a su- successful movie. Why are we listening to this guy? He never wrote Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> and that has a lot of narration. And uh, Charlie Kaufman really went after him with, uh, was it Adaptation? That's the one where he's he's a writer and he even goes to a seminar of a character that's kind of based on him. And he has narration throughout the whole movie. And that's a fantastic movie. So I don't really subscribe to a lot of the the sort of, golden rules of uh of screenwriting i think you can totally make narration work and, and deadpool's a, a great example yeah chris nolan did it with memento no one told him oh you can't have guy pierce narrate the whole movie didn't even tell the story in the right order <laughs> yeah <laughs> broke all the rules <laughs> people don't like that when i was at uh university a lot of the, the film kids didn't didn't like that they thought ah it's uh, it's sticky the narration i'm like well i don't care if it's a shtick it's a shtick that worked See, there's that elitism I'm talking about. Yeah. They're elite. It exists. I don't know what percentage of, the, of uh, them have that approach, but there, there certainly is. Oh, you enjoy Deadpool? <laughs> I spent my weekend watching Chinatown. Like, <laughs> well, good for you enjoy Chinatown, but Deadpool's good too. Yeah. Is it binary? You could like both. So let's talk about that then. The other Marvel movies where it's not Disney Marvel, like the Deadpool movies and the new Wolverine. I do like Deadpool. I enjoyed both of them. I'm not sure I've seen all of the new X-Men. Um, I think I quite like the ones that I did see. I didn't really care for Logan, though. That was one that people were pretty excited about. I did watch it on a plane, which is not the optimal movie-watching environment, but I was really sleepy. I, I didn't. I, you didn't like Logan? No, I didn't. Didn't you think it was slow? I felt that, it was That slow. would be my Wonder Woman or my... Black Panther, where I would have to ask you to leave right now. If you don't like <laughs> really? Logan. What did you like about Logan? So I'm prepared to watch it again, not on a plane, but only if you give me a good pitch. Logan is just feels. You just got to turn <laughs> off that that intellectual mind and just feel it. I mean, I, I was getting teary-eyed. Weren't you getting teary-eyed? The thing I really liked about Logan, and yes, I was, is that every superhero movie has a good beginning and a middle but there's no, well, what happens when he's 80? How does that look like? And Logan answers that in that his healing is fading and he has glasses. Of all people, 
your eyes don't heal anymore. You got glaucoma. <laughs> <laughs> and every time he, I guess, unsheaths his claws, pus comes out because he's so old he can't heal properly. And it's one of those things like, huh? So that's what it looks like. That's terrifying. Same thing with Professor X. It's like you are already old to begin with. What if you have dementia? Oh, you kill a bunch of people unintentionally. That makes sense. I can see that. How did you think it was boring when that little girl starts going psycho on everybody? I don't even remember much of the movie, to be <laughs> honest. Maybe you were just sleepy on the plane, man. Maybe you're, the time difference. And- Maybe I fell asleep, dreamt that I was watching Logan. But what I created in my dream was much less interesting than the actual Logan. Yeah. Doing jujitsu, I've only ever been choked out unconscious once. And what happened was instantly I started dreaming that I was in the very position that I was in. So I was dreaming that the, the, the role kept going. I kept wrestling in my mind. I'm like, got out of that choke. Now I'm on top <laughs> working my pass. And then all of a sudden, like my vision came back and my legs being shaken. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I didn't escape the choke and start passing his guard. I just went out. So it's very possible that I dreamt a worse version of Logan. That's very like, rare. There's a musical number in there. I don't know why they were singing. What I happened? thought the clowns were unnecessary, to be honest. <laughs> That's very rare to dream something worse than the original. Usually the dreams are much better. You're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a bad writer. <laughs> I think I could have done a better Logan, but my dream proved that I'm wrong. Maybe it's the other way. Maybe you're a good writer, but you're a bad dreamer. That's, um, fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm not trying to make money off my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think we got to wrap up because i know you got to get out of here what do they do at the end of you know these kind of things where trying to sell vitamins well, well you know when you when you do these things podcasts and somebody comes in and visits you you got to talk about how long we've been running we've been running 12 hours now it's time to wrap up you got to do that shit and then you got to tell us about where we can find you and people can get in contact with you or complain about you or send you death threats or whatever. So where can they reach out? Is it the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook, the podcast? Give it to us all. I'll give you the podcast, facebook.com slash podcast. We're on a dying social media outlet, but that's our favorite place to post, facebook.com slash podcast. We post the podcasts every now and again, supposedly weekly. We'll try. If you guys listen to it, for each each comment that we get on our page, that'll be another week that we guarantee to do weekly. You've heard it now. It's the ironclad screen verdict promise. <laughs> and uh, thanks for having me on, Sam. Thanks for having me on, Paul. This was fun. No Twitter, no none of that stuff. I really only use Twitter to follow competitive Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys like Call of Duty, add me at Around the Rock. Uh, add my gamer tag, the Mickey Finn with two N's. Uh, yeah, let's kill some noobs. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>